0: You're listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast, your home for the best of science fiction and fantasy, with a twist. Whether you prefer your stories with dragons or aliens, your beverages shaken or stirred, fill your glass, relax, and join the conversation with your hosts, sci-fi and fantasy authors and proud tipsy nerds, Natalie Wright and R.S. Dabney. I am Natalie Wright, sci-fi and fantasy author, and with me is
1: my co-host, Robin Dabney. Hi, Robin.
2: Hi, Natalie, and welcome everyone tuning in. We are super excited about this podcast and this episode. Who isn't a fan of Game of Thrones? Who isn't pumped for season eight, the final season? Uh, we couldn't think of a better way to get this awesome show started. Exactly. And just to, if you didn't
1: listen to episode zero, or even if you did, we want to give you just a little brief rundown of what Tipsy Nerds is. We read a sci-fi or fantasy book or story every week, and then... We recreate a fictional cocktail from the book and drink it on air while we're chatting about the book. Or if there isn't a fictional cocktail in the book, we create one that's in honor of the book or inspired by it. Each week, we'll have a new recipe for you and lots of good chat about our favorite sci-fi and fantasy stories. And in future episodes, we will also have awesome guest hosts, some of the best authors alive today will be on our show. So we look forward to sharing all of that with you in the future. But I have to ask the most important question of the morning, Robin, what is in your glass today?
2: As we are talking about Game of Thrones, there is a fertile uh, fertile ground for what kind of drink you can make, create, uh, invent. They drink a lot in this series, which is fantastic for what we are doing this morning. I chose to drink a mulled wine in honor of the men of the Night's Watch who are kind of stuck up there in the frigid ice and snow, and kind of probably one of the only ways to pass time since they can't go uh, find women down in Molestown, and there's not a <laughs> whole lot going on. In book one, I'm not talking about where we're at now in the final season of the show, but I'm drinking this mold wine. That's what that's what it's mentioned in the book. The old bear, <laughs> drinking the old bear loves his mold wine, and so yeah, I I'm kind of honoring these guys with what I'm drinking. What about you, Natalie? What are you drinking today? Well, I
1: kind of uh, went with the morning beverage theme because we're film uh, we're recording in the morning. I have a blood of my blood bloody Mary that I'm very excited about, and this is actually made with um, tequila instead of uh, vodka. I thought tequila might be a little bit more fitting for the Mother of Dragons out there in the desert, Rocky area. I don't know. They might have like an agave sort of plant to squeeze some juice out of to make some tequila. And uh, I, my swizzle, uh, tw- swizzle stick is a piece of bacon. I don't know. I thought, you know, the dragons, they're not vegetarian. i <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm imagining we can pretend it's horse. Exactly. I'm imagining my bacon is was, you know, fried up by dragon fire. Yeah. So that's what I'm drinking. Very tasty. And we will have uh recipes for both of these drinks. You will find them on our website, tipsynerdsbookclub.com. And uh we would love to hear your you know, your take on these drinks if you make them.
2: And if you're not a if you aren't a mold wine or a tequila blood of my blood type drinker, we've got a bunch of different recipes for this episode. So like Natalie mentioned, head to our website or social media pages and find whatever it is that you will enjoy because we have definitely given you a bunch of options for this particular episode.
1: Yes, a very boozy episode. And I need to uh, take it easy on the blood of my blood or I'll be too, too tipsy to talk to Robin. So of course, today <laughs> yeah. we are talking about the Game of Thrones, The Song of Ice and Fire series written by the amazing George R.R. Martin. Then we are also tying in our to this, our conversation today will be about the HBO television series, The Game of Thrones, which is entering its final season, as Robin mentioned. The original Game of Thrones book, we're going back to the 1990s. It was first published, I believe, in 1996. And so some of you out there may have been fans of this series for a very long time. Others of us came to it, you know, more recently. Robin, when is the first time that you, like, when was your first experience with the Game of Thrones? Did you read the book before you saw the show? Or did you see the show and then go to the book?
2: So I first came to this series. um, It was about six years ago, my sister, I was living in Florida at the time. And my sister came to visit and was like, you have to watch this. It's amazing. And I, I'm a big fantasy nerd. So i I'm, it was not hard to convince me. But I, we sit down and we watch episode one. And I was just like, holy shit, because I had never seen, I didn't have HBO. And so it was one, my first introduction to like really open genitalia, nudity, and sex on TV. <laughs> um, and, and not that I'm a prude, but I was like, wow, they can actually show this. But also just the story was so intense and phenomenal. And I, there's twists and nobody is safe. And it sort of blew apart every idea I'd had to this point of like what is allowed <laughs> in the realm of storytelling. And so after that, I, I, we blew through season one. It had already been out. And then I immediately went out and bought all five books and read them immediately one after the other. So saw the show first, at least episodes one, two, and three, and then read all five books that are out and absolutely fell in love with the series. I'm still hooked. Yeah, me too. Like,
1: you know, can't get enough of it. And that may be one of the most wonderful gifts that George R.R. Martin has given, I think, to to writers and to fans of uh, fantasy and sci-fi is really breaking down the walls about what can happen before the Game of Thrones Um, It's possible there are books where main characters died, but holy shit, you know, it's like whatever the conventions were about who's the good guy and what happens to the good guys. I think he kind of just tore that wall down and demolished it. And so I think that's one of his lasting kind of legacies. At least that's just my opinion. And one of the things I loved about it.
2: I agree. Yeah.
1: So I, I read the first Game of Thrones book, uh, as an audio book back in 2009. And I was on my way to a writer's conference. I was writing young adult sci-fi at the time. And I had written a first draft of one of my first books. By the time I got to LA, it was like, a, I don't know what, eight or nine hour drive. I was A, hooked on the series. B, I, I was like, I'm throwing out my entire first draft <laughs> because it was the complexity of the story that George weaves. I just felt like, wow, I want to do something more like that. Something that's got a lot more complexity and depth of character and everything. So it really, he is a huge influence on my writing. And though he doesn't know it, I I consider him like a mentor to my writing because there's always so much to learn about how to tell a story from a great storyteller like George. We've fangirled enough about George. We love him. You know, we're like, we're like, we're like throwing our
2: Hi, George. Yeah.
1: We love we're, you. Like, we're like, I'm picturing us as like girls when they went to see the Beatles in the sixties, you're like screaming ah, and like throwing their yeah. panties at the stage. So we're, we're kind of metaphorically doing that with George. We're, we are George RR
2: Martin groupies. Yeah. And if he ever was doing a lovely reading at a quaint bookstore, we'd be there like, you know, throwing our bras yeah. at the podium in the audience, which is super inappropriate. But You know,
1: it's what tipsy nerds do. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Especially for tipsy. Okay, so, um, all right. We fangirled enough about George. Now, let's talk about the story. Uh, Reading it again for the show, uh, one of the things I was looking for is, well, when is the first time anybody's drinking? And I mean, I remembered, like, there seemed to be a lot of eating and drinking and feasting going on. But when was that? The first that I could find, and so... Tipsy nerd book lovers out there, if you uh, if I'm wrong and you see something different, please let us know. But the first drinking that I saw in the book was actually Jon Snow and he was drinking summer wine and getting quite drunk on it. And then he has a little conversation with Benjen, his Uncle Ben. I thought that was kind of interesting because I wouldn't have thought Jon Snow would be the first instance of someone, you know, drinking in the book. But it is. There you go. John.
2: Yeah. And apparently uh, the showrunners at HBO didn't think it would be John either because in the show, the first appearance of a drink is at minute 32 in episode one. And it is, of course, Tyrion Lannister, our favorite man who drinks and knows things. And he's a getting pleasured in a pleasure house and drinking a beverage. And so that I, uh, of course, flag on that since that's what the show is. But I, I guess the showrunners kind of had read the books and were like, Tyrion should probably be the first person to consume alcohol in this <laughs> in this series. So if anybody's, yeah, again, with that one, if I'm wrong, call me out. But I'm pretty sure Tyrion in the whorehouse in Molestown is, is having the first drink of the whole show. Yeah, and
1: I, then he doesn't really stop. <laughs> After that, it's just kind of keeps going. No, no. <laughs> and in the book, definitely Tyrion, he's drinking a lot. Uh, the first instance of Tyrion drinking in the book that I could find is he, this is at Winterfell, right after the incident with Bran. And the Lannisters are kind of, you know, hold up together having breakfast. And there's Jaime and Cersei sitting across from each other in their odd way of being together. And Tyrion kind of Barges in and he's asking for a mug of dark beer for breakfast and he's telling, and he's got this whole breakfast order that sounded like a lot of (laughs) you know, it's like, I want eggs and beer and bread and on and on, but he orders a mug of dark beer. Which sounds good right now, actually. So anyway, he
2: right, yeah, I should have done that. Made a big breakfast with I mug of breakfast. yeah,
1: yeah. And I love that scene too. How he plops himself down, and he, Tyrion immediately knows that something's up with his brother and sister. You know, he can. He's just like looking at them. And he's like, "Hey, what did they do?" <laughs>
2: Yeah. I want to ask because this is like such a, a good first question and in something, a book this size, a series this size, it's, I'm just always curious when I meet people, but like, what is it about this story? What is it about the show that just hooked you from the beginning? What is your favorite part? What separates this from everything out there in the fantasy genre and makes it completely unique for you? That is a great question for our audience. And
1: I know for me personally, one of the things I really noticed and rereading it for the show and really... Studying it a little bit more deeply is that George R. R. Martin, although there's a lot of words and there's a lot of character development description, he keeps the action moving all the time. There's suspense of what's going to happen building from minute one. I mean, from the prologue. And here's an example, writers out there of what when you actually can effectively use a prologue it's a very effective one, you know from the very beginning, we know like, holy crap, there are these creatures, there's something going on beyond the wall, and it's bad shit, and it's coming coming for everybody. so he sets that up, and then within the first couple of chapters, the king is coming, John Aaron is dead, there's this whole there's kind of like something to look forward to. I think that really, for me, it, it kind of hooks you in, the action. And then these characters, it's like, who are these people? You know, this is just an interesting and intriguing. Absolutely.
2: I think the characters for me... Uh, I agree with you on the, the storytelling piece of it. But for me, as I kind of mentioned before, this is the first series where it felt like all the rules were totally smashed. And so for me, I love anti-heroes. I love gray characters who aren't these like black and white ideas of good and evil. And this book is filled with that. You have characters like the Hound and Jamie Lannister, who you initially hate and loathe and do some horrible things, but they have these incredible growth stories and redemption stories. And it's not that they all of a sudden become good guys. They just become human. They become people instead of caricatures of good and evil. And I think, for me, this story just captures that so well in a way that every character has a purpose. Every character has an emotional journey of... I mean, even characters like Joffrey, who don't necessarily become, or don't not necessarily, don't become likable. They at least grow in their wicked ways, and you grow in your loathing and hatred for them. And and so no character is wasted, no space is wasted. Uh, Like you said, with the descriptions, he goes on these lengthy descriptions. And sometimes that'll drive me nuts in a book, like I'll I'll open it and start reading. And for the first 100 pages, I think it's wonderful. And after that, I'm just like, get to the point. (laughs) But I never felt like that with George R. R. Martin's books. It's like every word is beautiful, serves a purpose, moves the action forward. And so for me, that is what makes this such a solid story. And I think we've talked about this and would agree that even if you've seen the show and love the show and know what happens, read the book because there's so many fine details and incredible aspects of writing that you really shouldn't miss out on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you've only seen the show and haven't read the book, I guarantee that the characters you love, you will love even more. And the characters that you hate, you will hate even more. The book is just so much richer. One of the things that I just love about the Game of Thrones and George's writing is the visceral quality of his writing. If you got your head stuck in a Game of Thrones book for an hour or two, you come out, it's one of those books where you kind of look around and like, wait, wait a minute, what? What? people are, I'm not in the medieval times, you know, it's yeah. like you, you're smelling the horse manure, you know, you're getting dirty and muddy in your mind. You're, you're, you're feasting on the food. You, you're having sex in the house, whatever you're doing, you know.
2: <laughs> you, you know,
1: all of that, you get to go in and experience so many of these wonderful things and awful things too. The death, the, the backstabbing, all of it. It's just great to be able to go in and be a part of the story. One of the things I was noticing though, Robin, that I hadn't uh, ever really thought much about was we talk about the beauty of his writing, and he, there are even little details like what the people drink. So to bring it back to the drinks for a moment, you know, right? Like, uh, of course, Tyrion might be drinking a really nice wine because of the Lannisters and they can afford that. But then we're over here in the Dothraki territory with Danny, and at her wedding, they're serving fermented mare's milk, which, you know, makes me kind of want to puke in my mouth a little bit thinking about. Have you ever had that?
2: Yeah. Yeah? You've had fermented <laughs> you know, mare's milk? Um, no, no. No, I have not. Um, But a funny story, I actually have a friend who has. um, He he bikepacked across Kazakhstan, and that is one of the things they drink there. And because he didn't want to be rude uh, to the folks he was staying with and to the culture, every time it was offered, he would drink it. And I asked him because in the new book I'm writing, that's actually my main character's drink of choice is fermented mare's milk. (laughs) So I asked him, what does that taste like? And if you're eating something, put it down because this will make you sick. (laughs) But he said, basically, it is like if somebody ate only yogurt and dairy for a week, and then threw it up and served it to you as a drink, that is what it tastes like. So We will not have a recipe for that (laughs) for you guys online because we don't hate you that much. (laughs) Right,
1: right. Yeah, tipsy nerds, uh, we're about drinking things that taste good, not things that, but hey, I guess, you know, human beings of all stripes, of all times, are looking for ways to get plastered, basically. They'll make alcoholic beverages out of anything.
2: And like you were saying, George R.R. Martin uses the drinks as world building, as character development. So to kind of enrich the world of the Dothraki, he has this fermented mare's milk. And the Dothraki culture... Across the Narrow Sea isn't exactly Kazakhstan, but it sort of helps us to root ourselves in a real world that we can picture. And so it's, again, like you were saying, every detail he uses serves a purpose in moving the story forward and building the story. Right. And then we have on the other side of this, almost exact opposite,
1: we have Paisel, one of my least favorite characters. I mean, I just, he's just, The thought of him, actually, I just had like creepy chills go up my back thinking about Picell. He's just, (laughs) ew, ew. So he drinks iced milk sweetened with honey. It's like, oh, And you know, it's such a fitting drink for Picell. What a soft, wimpy drink. Exactly. Iced milk sweetened with honey. Like you need to sweeten milk. Anyway. Gross, but that's what Paisel's drinking. So yeah, everybody, you know, the men of the night's watch, they're drinking bald spirit so strong. It's makes Syrian eyes water. Everybody's beverage sort of matches who they are, which if we ever have George on the show, which we would love to do, we would love to ask him, George, you know, was that like, consciously planned? I mean, is is that something you plan as a writer? Or was that just what his imagination sprung to life as he was so deeply into the character?
2: Right. And then we take, we read this book, take those drinks and sort of apply them to the characters and look for deeper meaning. So it is interesting. Yes. Was this conscious or was it just this perfect divine accident (laughs) that played out really well for the readers and the watchers? One of the questions I had for you, Robin was were there any things about the show that
1: you like more than the book or anything about the show that is different that you think yeah that was a good thing that they did it that way that they made this change
2: I think especially in season one they they follow the book pretty closely they just leave out a lot of the smaller details. I'm trying to think that's a good question I, there were times I found because I'm such a book loyalist that even if I love a show, if I watch, if I read the book, I'm just like, no, you can't do that. There's a few deaths later on in the show that they don't actually die in the book, but they kill them off in the show. And so for me, I don't want to name any of those because I want people to go read the book, but there were a few choice characters who are still alive in the books. Yes, we are still waiting for the next book to come out to see what happens, but I think. I know why they did it in the show. They had to cut time. And so some of these smaller storylines had to go. But for me, those are those small details that just take the book to this whole other level. And again, why you should read it, because some of these characters who are still alive, I think are going to play some really cool roles in the story, should it continue. <laughs> right. What about you, Natalie? Was there any like, uh, what was, I guess, the big difference for you? Or what what disappointed you? Or did you think was a good change?
1: The one that stands out to me is actually Daenerys and uh, Khal Drogo. Because, again, rewatching the series to prepare for this, I felt that when they after their wedding, you know, there's a lot of nervous anticipation, obviously. Daenerys is like, what is going to happen to her? This really rough and tumble, big, huge guy, is he going to like just brutally take her in a sort of marital rape kind of thing? Or, you know, what's it going to be like? And the show... Definitely, it was not a tender, sweet moment, and like she goes he takes her off on her horse, and then the next morning they show her kind of like walking like she's got a sore backside or something. and I'm like, oh i I don't remember it like that in the book. So I went back to the book and in fact, yeah i, I was I was correct in my recollection of that that George R. R. Martin's treatment of Danny and her first time with call Drogo is very different. Um, he makes a really big point of making sure that to show the reader that call Drogo of the common tongue, he may only know one word, but the one word he knows is no. Know, and he knows the meaning of it. He knows that, what no means that no means no. So there's this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, She's take he's taking all of his braids out. He's taking the bells and everything out of his hair and Danny begins helping him. And it's this tender moment between the two of them. And he starts to make a move toward her and he asks her the question, no. And she takes his hand and moves it to her nether regions. And clearly is then George R. R. Martin is showing this is consensual. She is saying yes, which you know, she's only 13 in the book, but in modern times, you know, she does, she can't legally consent, but we're not in modern times in the book. So uh, that whole thing, I was just kind of curious, like why in the series they chose to make it appear as though Khal Drogo was more brutal with her when in fact, in the book that never really happened. And from really the beginning, their relationship has a lot more tenderness. And so, you know, that was a difference. And I was like, I felt it was a little uncalled for.
2: Yeah, that that added some level of like gratuitousness that which there's already plenty of. We don't need to be horrified or, you know, we don't need another reason to sort of cringe. And so maybe they made that change because, uh, I don't know, they thought it would up the drama again, you don't really need to up the drama in Game of Thrones. We need to appreciate every right. tender, good-hearted moment <laughs> that George gives us because they're few and far between. So yeah, I agree. That seems unnecessary. Sort of they Hollywoodified, which is probably not a word, but it will be in this show for me. <laughs> that element when it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, because season one of the show and book one in the book, for many of us, this was this new wonderful way of storytelling. And all of a sudden, we're going to give spoilers here, assuming that most people who have either, who are listening, have seen season one of Game of Thrones or who have read the book. If you haven't, now's the time to shut it off. But we as watchers, as readers, have this moment in this series when Ned Stark gets his head chopped off and you're like... WTF, Sean Bean, the whole time it was happening, I kept telling my husband, like, Sean Bean's a big actor, they can't kill him off. Or, you know, then we're reading it. But he does, he kills this pivotal actor. And so you sort of are left, like, floating in this void. But my question is, is, like, Who do you blame? (laughs) Because there's, you know, so many elements to the story. And so for me, I have, I kind of have a theory on like whose fault it is, which people won't like, but I'm curious, like what led to Ned getting his head cut off and who is to blame for that? If you had to pick. Yeah,
1: it's such a good question. I, I have to say that when I first read the Game of Thrones 10 years ago, I was a huge Stark fan and I still am, but definitely I thought Ned was a great character, a great guy, stand up dad. There's this point where he ends up and you know, in the Capitol with the two daughters and he's like clearly not cut out to, you know, for raising daughters. And it's like, you got to feel for the guy. I mean, I have a teenage daughter and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I had two and like by myself. Anyway, it's uh, wow. He's he's just such a stand up guy. But on rereading it, I have to say that I began to at times feel like, Ned, what the fuck, dude? I mean, you're telling Cersei Lannister, he's all Mr. Stand by your honor. And it's like, by this point in the book, you'd think that he'd have a clue that honor isn't the only thing, only thing, you know, and that people aren't honorable. Like he might be the only honorable person in all of Westeros you
2: know, and the Seven Kingdoms. So... Oh, absolutely. I would, yes, I agree. Yeah. Or the only one who is honorable and kind of daft because I think some of the others are honorable, but they're like intuitive enough to be like, okay, I should play this game. And he's like, not. <laughs> right. It's like
1: standing by your principles or or steadfastly being really pretty just like stubborn, like stubbornly following your principles. And th- there's this point where you kind of go, did he bring this on himself in Catelyn. Oh, let's not forget Catelyn and her role in this too, where again, when I first read the book, I thought Catelyn was this really upstanding lady. I loved her and Cersei's just this horrible bitch. But interestingly, this time when I read through it, I said to myself, look, there's this point where Catelyn Stark is like, Bran is um, in bed. They don't know if he's going to live or die. She's by his bedside. And Jon Snow is coming in to say goodbye to Bran because he's going to the wall. Who knows if he'll ever return? And she she tells Jon Snow, you know, that she wishes it were him in this bed. What a bitch. I mean, it's like he is a 14-year-old boy. He's still a child. He didn't invite any of this crap in his life. You know, he didn't want he didn't invite being a bastard into his own life. And she's supposed to be an adult. And I I remembered reading it thinking, is she that much different than Cersei Lannister for her own children? to preserve her legacy and her son Robb's claim to be Lord of Winterfell, et cetera. What would she do? You know, Catelyn Stark. So that's kind of a, uh, you know, Catelyn takes Tyrion or uh, 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 yeah, she takes Tyrion and it's like, what the hell, Catelyn? <laughs> you know what I mean? Without consulting anyone, without having a plan, she just does this thing that puts her daughters and her husband's life at risk. So I don't know, maybe she's to blame. I don't know,
2: Robin, what do you think? Who do you think's to blame? I'm like right there with you on all of that. I agree with everything you said. As initially when I first watched the show, um, I had a different idea kind of by the time I'd read the book. But it, for me, it was like the Starks were life, like hashtag Team Stark. But as I went back, and I, I still love them. I'm still a big fan. And I like wept when um, the Red Wedding happened. But it's like, Ned's honor was... I mean, you think he could have... Like we, like I mentioned before, it's like, why didn't he use his brain as well? He's the hand of the king. He's obviously competent enough to get to that point. But how does he lack any semblance of common sense? And then for Catelyn, yes, I kept thinking when she took Tyrion in the show, for people who have only seen the show, you'll know that when she took Tyrion, that caused Jamie to corner Ned, kill his men, stab him in the leg, and it was all downhill from there. And so it just seemed like these honorable people made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of issues. And I think that was... George R.R. R. Martin's point with this is that we don't have these characters who are good or evil. It was funny. I would watch the show and my parents would sometimes come in and we tried to get my dad to watch the show. He's he's a little older, but that's not the point. <laughs> but he would always ask me, he'd look at me and be like, "Is this guy good or bad?" And we're like, "Dad, this isn't about good and bad. It's like that guy's pretty gray." <laughs> and I think that was the point with the Starks is that our initial reaction to who are the heroes and heroines of this story are not necessarily true. That even the good guys, I'm using air quotes, have a lot of flaws and began a lot of avalanches that led to some pretty bad stuff because then Ned's death led to war and all of these things. Not that this stuff wouldn't have happened already because there were there was a lot of tension. There were bad characters in the book. But I would argue as well, and listeners, you may... Disagree, hate us for this. Or you might be like, yes, thank you. Somebody said it aloud that the Starks are kind of the initial reason that many of the events in this story sort of took off and took place. And so for me, you know, arguably Ned's honor led to a lot more death even than Joffrey's sadism, <laughs> Ramsey's sociopathness. Like it's like Ned's honor killed more people, I would argue, than some of the really bad characters. Maybe not Cersei. She's she's pretty messed up, but right. the others.
1: Yeah. Cersei, the one is 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 my current one that I love to hate. And I'm wondering how she'll end because she's got to end, right? I mean like don't take me through all this shit and not have a dragon either turn her into a piece of bacon or like you know Cersei jerky that'd be good.
2: That is what is currently stirring your blood of your blood. Yeah, drink. exactly. The <laughs> Cersei bacon. The Cersei bacon <laughs> or or kind of like
1: uh, Shrek style with dragon coming in and, and uh, uh, in the first Shrek movie and just like eating the little king, the little tiny king, Lord, Lord, whatever, Far Farquaad or whatever in Drek. Yeah, Farquaad. Yeah, so I'm picturing that, you know, like one of, one of Daenerys' dragons just comes in and just basically like picks Daenery or picks Cersei up and, you know, just kind of swallows her whole. Uh, either way, I'm good either way. Yeah. But, uh, 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 drag- Death by right. dragon is my preferred method for Cersei. That'd be a good question for our listeners. How do you want to see her die? Yes. Um, we're assuming you do, but if you don't, that's cool too. We want to hear from the U as well on that. Like if you think Cersei is, you know, maybe she's going to be redeemed somehow. Is there redemption for Cersei? No,
2: I would argue. Absolutely not. Know. No, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's not. But I was like, no, I'm right. I'm like the- <laughs> she cannot be redeemed. I'm the first person to be like, my favorite part of this whole series is that everybody gets a redemption story, but not that bitch. Like <laughs> absolutely not. She's the one person who yeah. I agree needs to die. <laughs> Yeah. So, so
1: we're all waiting with bated breath to see how Cersei Lannister kicks it at the end and uh who ends up on the Iron Throne. Oh, here's another question for you, Robin. Who do you want to see on the Iron Throne? Like if you could pick, you were directing or writing the last episodes of the show, who would you put on the Iron Throne?
2: Oh my gosh, this is so this is so difficult because I love all the people who are still around and But for me, gosh, it's got to be Jon. I just have loved him from the beginning. I think he... But I hate to say not Daenerys because she's also worked really hard. She's a woman and I'm all about that. I think, Jon, it goes back to that whole thing where, you know, the first people you fall in love with as the good guys are the Starks. And so I think probably because Catelyn was such a jerk to him. I'm just like, yeah, like, take it, John, Like, (laughs) prove everybody wrong. And so I think, for me, he just has more of that story where you're just, he goes from bastard to where he is now to hopefully, in my mind, sitting on the Iron Throne. Daenerys also had a hard journey, but she did already come from a bloodline that it's like, she sort of has a claim. Really, I think I would just like to have that Iron Throne just completely destroyed and... Let's see Westeros under a more of a like. Communal rule, like ruling. Like, I, I kind of want all my favorites to rule if that's possible. Like, right? That's like what a socialist thing. I'm just like, oh, I want all my friends up there. <laughs> like, I want John to rule and Daria <laughs> to rule and Daenerys. You know, I'm a big hound fan. So, like, let's put the hound in there, like, make him the head <laughs> or something. And so, for me, I'm just, I'm right? I love this whole gruesome, gory story. But then at the end, I'm like, I want them all to be friends. So, I don't know. What about you? I'm curious. That's a good question. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. Like, I'm trying to picture your your council of Westeros and the Hound. You know what role he has in it. Yeah. So if if George is listening and uh, if he's writing more in the Song of Ice and Fire, I want to remind him that he foreshadowed some stuff with John in book one, and we'll nerd out over that for a minute. The fact that at the beginning of five books, I don't even know how many words. Each book is like eight hundred pages, so we're talking, you know, like thousands of pages of story. The very first chapter, at the end, when they have found the dire wolves and they're giving them up, and John John finds his wolf, and this is in actually Brand's point of view, but but Brand says he thought it was curious that this pup alone would have opened his eyes while the others were still blind, and this is the pup, of course, that goes to John. So John's the only one with his eyes open. And again, I nerded out quite a bit when I reread the book. And I saw that line and I thought, geez, you know, here we are in the first 20 pages of this story. And we already know kind of where it's going because George is telling us, keep your eyes on Jon John Snow. not It's not Rob Stark, you know, or Bran or any of the others so I thought that was really cool John's my boy I love John if anything happens to him I'm gonna just I'll be have to be in mourning you know for a period of time you know you just
2: I'll be wearing black and moping around but I would consider that an unforgivable like (laughs) you know you have those moments where an author kills someone and you're like that was really a bad idea why did the editor let that go through that's how I would feel with John I would be I would need I don't know I would like protest in the streets probably (laughs) I think that
1: it, it, but you know, I like your idea of the Iron Throne being destroyed. And it seems to me that Jon Snow is just the man to do it. Yep. And so I could almost see that happening. You know, like he wins the throne. He isn't like hand the throne. He doesn't inherit the throne. He has to fight for the throne. He gets the throne. Then he is the one that says enough and destroys it. And that would be great. Yeah. And then Daenerys, what's going to happen with him and Daenerys? Because it seems to me, It's just too cheesy for them to like fall in love, get married and be cousins, kissing cousins and like share the throne. That just seems like
2: it. Cheesy and weird.
1: Yeah, like like what's going to happen between the two of them? We don't know, but I'm definitely very keen to find out What are they going to do with the two of them? And how are they going to deal with, you know, the Iron Throne? And then, oh, there's someone we haven't talked about at all. And before we wrap up this episode, we have to talk about her. Arya Stark. Oh, yeah. Another one of the good Starks that we love... Um, sh- her story is weird. I personally really love it. Some people are like, "Oh my god, her story takes a dark turn." And I'm like, well, that's just kind of like freaky nerd I am." I'm like, "Show me that dark turn. I want to see it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Show me that weirdness. You know, with her in the the House of Faces or whatever the hell it is. I can't remember anymore. But we love Aria. She's like this little feminist ray of death and destruction. One one woman army in the in the shows and in the books. So. Who knows? I mean, I don't know Arya because she end up with the with the with the throne. Does she want it? Would she like take it? We don't know.
2: I don't think she wants it. I think I think she is more of the. I don't think she wants to rule. I think that would be beneath her in her mind. I think she's more of a fighter. She's more of she would support John yeah. to the end. I mean, he was the one who gave her needle. He he loved her and she loved him as true brother and sister. I think for her she would do everything to help her brother. And I think, I don't know, for me, it would be a little bit of too weird of a twist for her to seek any kind of power because I don't see her as that. I see her as a justice seeker, more of somebody who would, here I go back to my, you know, council of best friends where I have like John (laughs) ruling and Arya, like, (laughs) you know, sits on the council with the hound who also, you know, she had her little uh, encounter with. But I see her more as, a lone wolf for to not be totally punny and cliched with the, the wolf metaphor there. But yeah, she's, she's not going to rule people. She's going to fight for justice for what she believes in. We see that from in her storyline from book one, but I cannot wait. The, so the, the trailer has come out now for the new season and Arya's is the opening scene of it. And it's, I don't know, it's just perfect. I'm, I'm excited for her to just show us what she's got.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like when there's, there's a lot more to come from Arya for sure.
2: Yes, absolutely. So
1: tipsy nerds, you have many questions before you. We would love to hear your answers, cities and your other thoughts on the Game of Thrones. At the time that this episode airs, it's just in time for the first episode of the last season of the show. And so we would love to hear, you know, how you're enjoying the show. Have a tipsy nerds, Party and make some of the cocktails and send us your pictures on Instagram, on Twitter. You can uh, reach us at tipsy nerds book club on Instagram. Or at Tipsy Nerds BC on Twitter, and we would love to see your pictures of you and your your nerd pals, your Game of Thrones fan friends uh, hanging out, watching the show together. And I don't know, we'll probably have a contest come up about that, don't you think, Robin? will come up with some way for people to win some fabulous prizes Absolutely. related to their their photos.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great idea, and I think we should also include reaching out to us, reach out to us, ask, answer some of these questions and whatnot. And we may uh, send you some free stuff or enter you into some sort of contest because we we want feedback. We, this, we love talking to each other and nerding out with each other, but we also want to hear what our other fellow nerds have to say about some of these things. And so one final question I do want to ask before Natalie wraps this up, because for me, this is like one of the main things I always ask people. Lots of villains in the story, but for me, the two that I just absolutely loathe the most that have not one single redeeming quality are Ramsey and Joffrey. And I'm asking you who's worse and why. So please send us a message and let me know, because this is like my burning question that I must know the answer to.
1: Oh, that's a good question. Both very loathsome people. I'm kind of like sad that we're almost done with this episode because the drink was tasty. The bacon's really good. And um, wow, we could talk for probably three or four more hours about Game of Thrones. There's so much to it, but alas, we probably need to wrap it up. But we will be back next week. Episode two, we're also very excited about. Androids may not dream, but they do drink bourbon. This we know. We'll be talking about, of course, the amazing Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick and the two movies that have been spawned from that book, Blade Runner, Blader in 2049. So check back next week for that episode. And uh, we also have other great ones coming up. We'll be talking about Hitchhiker's Guide, Wool by Hugh Howey, and then we'll get back into some fantasy. So each week, a new sci-fi or fantasy story. And we didn't mention this at the beginning, but let me just say here, we're pulling most of our first season, first several seasons from the NPR top 100 sci-fi and fantasy novels of all time as voted on by their listeners. It's an older list, but that's where we're starting. Um, But we're happy to add things that aren't on that list. So tipsy nerds, if you have any uh, stories that you just love and you would love us to talk about, shoot us an email, send us a message on Twitter, reach out on, on Instagram or Facebook and let us know. And who knows, we may add it. And you may even be asked to be a co-host or a guest. You never know. Uh, reach out to us on e- uh, in that way. And uh, Robin, this was a lot of fun. It we was. clearly, we love Game of Thrones.
2: Yes, yes. And we, like you said, we could go on forever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> until next week, we are going to
2: sign off. Robin, I think we
1: need to refill our
2: glass. Yes, absolutely. Happy reading to all and cheers until next time. Thank you for listening to the Tipsy Nerds
0: Book Club podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the fun with your friends and family. Love what you heard and want the fun to continue? Head over to Patreon and become a patron of the Tipsy Nerds podcast. We love our patrons. Want a recipe for a cocktail you heard here? You can find recipes as well as show notes, episode transcripts, and helpful links on our website, tipsynerdsbookclub.com. And as always, join us next week for a new episode of Libations and Geeking Out. Cheers.